Why don't we open our Bibles to John chapter 16 so we can pick up where we left off last week. Last week we read verses 23 to 32 of John chapter 16. So that's 10 verses, which when uh, Pastor Rich and I talk about how we're going to break up these sections, you know, when one of us is going to teach and the other one's going to teach something else, you know, we call that a monster section, 10 verses. Doesn't seem like a monster section, you know, you'd think a monster section might be like three chapters or something like that, but when, but when you're trying to teach verse by verse and trying to like really uh, dive deep into it, 10 verses can, uh, can be an awful lot, and he did that last week. Uh, it's not just how many verses either, but just how much there is there to look at and study and how much God wants to speak to us from that. So you obviously, you can't cover every single thing, but you try to, to see what God wants to uh, say th- this week through you. And uh, and he did a great job with that. We were, talked about uh, how because of what Jesus was about to do going to the cross that we would have access to the Father. There, there wouldn't be a barrier between us anymore, but that we would have access to the Father and we could ask in his name, in Jesus' name, uh, because of what he was about to do. You know, in verse 27, it says, The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Now, how reassuring is that to know that the Father loves us, that he loves me? You know, and, and we talked, Pastor Rich talked about that, about, about how, you know, we all have uh, different experiences. You know, some of us have good fathers, some of us have not so good ones in, on earth here, but we, we have a heavenly Father who's perfect and who loves us uh, no matter what. And so we can go directly to him in prayer now because Jesus died for us and paid for our sins. And when he did, the veil was torn in the temple and that signified that there was no longer any barrier between us and the Father, that we could enter in to that holy of holies and, and, uh, and come to him with our, our, our needs and, and ask him for uh, what, whatever uh, is on our hearts. So, you know, that's an awesome section to, to, that we looked at last week. Now, the last thing that we saw in verses 31 and 32 was that the disciples would leave Jesus all alone. Speaking of him going to, the, going to be arrested, beaten, uh, put on trial, a sham of a trial, and, and, then, and then crucified. Uh, they would leave him all alone, but the Father would be with him. You know, that's, that was the last thing that Jesus talked about. And, uh, you know, the Father was with him right up until that moment on the cross where his sin was judged, the Father had to turn away from him. But, but Jesus was not alone as he went through all of that up until that point. The disciples did leave him. They left him and, and were scattered. Uh, they, were, they were afraid. And, and that was, Jesus knew that ahead of time, and he told them that. So from that, we go to this week, and we're going to just look at one verse. Not a monster section, but a monster verse, you know. Right. So this week, it's verse 33. And verse 33, I think you'll all agree once we read it, is more than enough for us to study for weeks on end if we wanted to. There's just so much in here. Let's read it together. Verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is a very well-known verse, something that uh, you may have studied 17 times before uh, or in Bible studies or uh, in, in church before. Uh, heard messages on it. We, we might have it memorized even. You know, this is a good verse to memorize. Uh, but even no matter how many times you've heard it, it's good to keep reminding ourselves of it because we are very prone to forget 
even the most important of things uh, once we uh, get in ourselves into difficult circumstances, aren't we? You know, we, we panic, we freak out, we stress out, and we forget what God has already told us and even what God has already done for us. So it's good to keep reminding ourselves of these things. And so we'll look at them today. Jesus said, I have, let's start with the beginning. I have told you these things, he said, these things. I have told you these things, but which, which things? Which things is he talking about? Now, if we go by, you know, what I usually do when Jesus says, I told you this, or, or therefore, we see that a lot in the Bible, then you just look at whatever happened immediately before that. Well, immediately before that, Jesus told them they were all going to leave him. So I don't think that is what he told them specifically so that they could have peace. I don't think he's just talking about that. That doesn't bring a lot of peace when I think about it, that, that you know, to, if I was one of these disciples, that I'm going to desert my master. That's not going to give me peace. But if we look a little further back, in fact, if we look a lot further back, I think we'll see that he's talking about more than just that. He's talking about this entire upper room discourse. You know, we've been studying this for like four and a half months. I look back at how many messages we've been looking at it. We've been in the upper room discourse for four and a half months here because it's just so much, so much that we can study there, so much we can learn from Jesus that we've been taking it nice and slow with the occasional monster verse section, 10 verses, you know, and, you know, we've been looking at it for four and a half months, but to Jesus and the disciples, this all took place in one evening at the Last Supper. So when Jesus says, I have told you these things, he's talking about these things that I told you tonight here at the Last Supper. I've told you these things that you may have peace. That's, that's what I believe. This was his last chance to talk to them at length before he first went to the garden, then was arrested, and then eventually went to the cross, before his resurrection anyway. This is the last chance he had to talk with them at length. And he wanted to encourage them because his death was going to greatly discourage them, as, we'll, as we see when, when we look at it. Of course it did. And even though he had told them repeatedly that he had to die, he had to suffer, and then he would be raised again on the third day. He had, he had told them that. They still acted very confused after his death and very discouraged, and they, like, they didn't know for sure that that was really going to happen. Uh, so as he knew that they would be discouraged, he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to leave them with some peace. I've told you these things so that you may have peace. He didn't want them to think that they were going to be left alone. He didn't want them to think that everything was over. You know, this ministry that they had been part of for over three years now. He wanted them to have peace. Now, peace. Peace is mentioned 92 times in the New Testament alone. And, you know, whenever we see a word mentioned that many times, it's, it usually means it's important. Now, some, some people might try to explain that away and say, well, of course it's mentioned 92 times. It's like the way they say hello in Israel, right? Shalom. But... You know, when Jesus says peace, it's more than just a hello. I'll, I'll say that. You know, when you look at the times that Jesus says peace, he's, he, does, he does greet people with that sometimes, but uh, more often than not, it's, it's something deeper than just hello that he's talking about. For instance, when we think of the story of the woman who suffered for years and touched his cloak, she reached out and touched his cloak when he was walking through a crowd, and uh, Jesus knew right away that some power had gone out of him, right? And he turned around, looking around, who touched me? Who touched me? And, and so he found her, and she fell on her knees, trembling before him. She was afraid. 
And she said, and she explained what she had done. And he said, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She was expecting a rebuke. How dare you touch me, she thought Jesus was going to say. But he told her to go in peace. That's more than a greeting. We talked already about how Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. That's not just a greeting. That's, that's what he wanted for us, for his disciples. He wanted them to have peace. And, you know, in this time of year, we think a lot, we, we hear this a lot. Sorry, it looks like I skipped some slides. Hmm. Maybe I didn't put that one in. <laughs> We hear a lot that glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Those are the words of the angels spoken to the shepherds in the fields. And we even get to hear that in the Charlie Brown special from Linus, right? Peace. Peace. It's, it's, it's more than just a hello to Jesus. It's what he wanted for us. It's what he wanted to bring us, what he came to bring us. In Isaiah, also another popular Christmas verse, Isaiah 9.6 says that Jesus will be called the Prince of Peace. So peace is very important uh, in, in who Jesus is to, to look at this peace. Now, David Guzik said about this, Jesus did not promise peace, he offered it. Maybe if I can actually find my correct slide, that would be good, but... Jesus did not promise peace. He offered it. He said, you may have peace. People may follow Jesus, yet deny themselves this peace. We gain the peace Jesus offered by finding it in him. Jesus said that in me you may have peace. We won't find real peace anywhere else other than in Jesus. We need to look to him. He's offering. That's, he's offering, but we need to take the offer. So what does that mean? You know, we, we, we should stop looking for peace other places, that's for sure. There's nothing else that's going to bring us any peace. You know, people look for peace in all kinds of other places, you know, in their, in their possessions and their savings and their uh, activities and their health, you know, like all these different things that people try to do to make themselves more relaxed and peaceful. But an inner peace that can withstand whatever circumstances that are going on around us will only come from Jesus. We need to turn to him to find that peace. He's offering, it's not automatic. We need to turn to him for it. Not just to turn to him to be saved, but to turn to him as believers and, and ask him to help us in whatever situation we're in to have that peace, to have joy even. You know, we, we, can, ha we can know Jesus, we can be saved, and we can still deny ourselves this peace is what David Guzik was saying that by not looking to him in the situations we get ourselves into. Now, Matthew Henry said about this, peace in Christ is the only true peace, and in him alone believers have it. For this man shall be peace, he said. That's a quote from Micah chapter 5. Through him we have peace with God, and so in him we have peace in our own minds. Now, Pastor Rich has talked about uh, that twofold peace before, you know, that we have in Jesus. We have the peace of God, which Jesus is talking about here, because we have peace with God. You know, we need to have peace with God first, peace with God that God, Jesus has reconciled us uh, to, to himself by his death on the cross. So the peace with God comes first, and then we can have the peace of God, that peace in our own minds that Matthew Henry talked about there. 
Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Now, peace without Jesus is impossible. Before we can have peace, we need to come to him as our Savior and put our trust in him. Then we can have peace with God because we're justified by faith. And then we can have the peace of God that he's offering. You know, whenever we, we come to him and ask him for help, he's giving us both. Now, moving through the verse, we need peace because we have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Oh, I don't like that as much as peace, do you? Oh, now show of hands, how many people here have never had any trouble? Oh, good, I have an honest room full of people here, no hands. Good. You know, trouble comes to all of us, and Jesus told us it would. It's not conditional, like, if you do this, then you will have trouble. That is... Uh, something that we see in Scripture as well. If you do this, then this will happen. You know, God's warnings against different kinds of sins and things that we can do wrong. But this is just an unconditional, in this world you will have trouble no matter what you do. And that's, that's not one of those promises that I like to remind myself of. But, <laughs> but it's true. You know, we are going to have trouble in this world. It's universal. There's no way around it. Now, I wish I could promise you that if you did X, Y, and Z or had enough faith or something else, then you wouldn't have any trouble. There are, unfortunately, some people who try to teach that, that if you have trouble, it's because you don't have enough faith. But that's not true at all, and it's not backed up by Scripture. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say, in this world, you, have, you will have trouble if you don't have enough faith. He just said, you will have trouble. Now, an example, hold on, I'm sorry, bear with me. The Greek word for trouble is flipsis. Try saying that ten times fast. Flipsis. Flipsis. It's a funny word. Now, it's also translated as pressing together, pressure, tribulation, affliction, persecution. Now, none of those are any more pleasant than trouble, I don't think. But... They're used frequent, this word is used frequently in reference to persecution, you know, as believers that the world would turn against us because, because of our belief in Jesus. But it's also used to describe all kinds of trouble. Now, one example, which may get me into trouble for using it, is in verse, uh, first, first Corinthians 7.28. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. Oh, that's not the verse you want to read at your wedding. It probably is a verse you should go over at premarital counseling, though, just so you're aware. <laughs> Any of you who, want it, who are going to get married someday, that's something to think about. It's not the first verse I associate with marriage, either, to, to be clear. You know, my wife's listening somewhere. And <laughs> the verse that I think of when I think of marriage is... Proverbs 18.22, he who finds a wife finds what is good and obtains favor from the Lord, receives favor from the Lord. That's actually engraved on her engagement ring. So maybe that'll get me out of trouble that I mentioned that. You know, <laughs> I'm not trying to take a shot at marriage or uh, get easy laughs out of this, but it demonstrates a different kind of trouble than, than persecution that this same word is used for. 
Now, even solid marriages that are, that are centered on Jesus will have troubles between the husband and wife and also troubles that you go through together. And that's what Paul was telling them about is that, you know, speaking about whether everyone should get married or some people shouldn't get married. And he was saying, well, if you don't feel the need to get married, then don't because then you can kind of focus all your attention on serving the Lord. But he didn't say that marriage was bad. He just told, warned them that there are certain troubles that will come from being married. And I think all of us who are married know that that is true. But that's just one example of a different kind of trouble. You know, where, do these, where else do troubles come from? Where's all the trouble? Well, it comes, like I said before, from our decision to follow Jesus. You know, that we uh, will be uh, at odds with the world around us that has a different system of uh, values and morals than we do, uh, that, that uh, pers- will persecute. You know, in this country, we don't have, like, harsh persecution uh, it, like there are in some places, but there, there is a, uh, an enmity between us and the world created by us following Jesus. Now, there's also uh, trouble with the enemy. When we, follow, when we want to follow Jesus and serve him, there is a spiritual battle that will take place, as we've talked about a lot here, that the, the enemy will try and attack us and hinder us any way that he can, even though the victory is already certain for, by what Jesus has already accomplished. We'll also have uh, trouble of our own doing. Whoops. You know, when we, when we sin or even when we just make a, not a sinful decision but an unwise decision, we'll cause ourselves some trouble, correct? You know, so that's, that's you know, a chief way that we get ourselves into trouble is, is, is we do it ourselves. And there are some kinds of trouble that just are a product of living in a fallen world. You know, for example, our, our bodies get older and they break down and we have medical troubles, right, that we go through. Uh, even, even if we're not getting that old, we have medical troubles. We go, some people have them when they're young. So, you know, we live in a fallen world, and that's, that's part of it. You know? And right now, we're all going through uh, all the trouble that this pandemic has caused on, in some way or another, right? You know, that there's no shortage of trouble in the world right now between the pandemic and racial tensions and everything else and political issues, and there's you know, wars around the world. There's, there's no shortage of trouble. And we shouldn't be surprised by this because Jesus promised it. He guaranteed it. In this world, you will have trouble. There's plenty of kinds of trouble, and we don't like really any of it, do we? We ask God to take it away, to save us from it, put a stop to it. And sometimes he does. And we're thankful for that, of course. But we should be thankful even if he doesn't end the trouble right away because there's still good news about our troubles. Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And Paul answers that in verses 38 to 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That includes any kind of trouble, I would say. There is nothing that will separate us from the love of Jesus, no matter what the trouble is that we're going through. Nothing will separate us from his love. Now, Paul, the apostle, was a man well acquainted with trouble, correct? I mean, people either loved him, received his message with joy, and became believers in Jesus, or they tried to kill him. Those were really the the two reactions people had to Paul, is is either 
uh, an immediate response to the gospel message that he preached or, or trying to kill him. And he went through other kinds of sufferings too, just in his service to the Lord. You know, he was, he, you know, he, he goes over it in different places that he was starving, he was cold, he was shipwrecked. He had all these things that happened to him. Paul kind of had a very troubled life, but he had a life of joy because he depended on Jesus for that. We look in, uh, so it's no surprise, given all the troubles that he went through, that we see him talking about it again in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So God has promised us that he will comfort us, and he's promised us that we, we can comfort others as well. You know, so the bad news is that we have troubles, right? But that's not any news that, that you didn't already know, right? I mean, I think even... You know, 99% of the unbelievers in the world know that this life has troubles. You know, unless they're in some kind of delusional fairyland, they know that this life has troubles. That's not something you need to convince them of or that we shouldn't need to be convinced of, that this life has troubles. That's the bad news. But the good news is that we have Jesus to help us through them. Now, who, who here has heard the saying, life is hard, and anyone who says something otherwise is selling something. Anybody hear that before? Got one, two. Life is hard, and anyone, else, anyone who says otherwise is selling something. Now, you think about those life's good t-shirts. They're literally selling something that says otherwise, right? They're selling a t-shirt that says otherwise. <laughs> but with Jesus, we can, have it bo- we can have both. We can have that life is hard, But life is good, too. The life we have with him is good because he's with us even when things are hard. It doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. Now, let's continue on with our verse. Jesus tells them, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, take heart. What does this mean? It can also mean be of good cheer, be of good courage. Again, the Greek word here is Tharseo, that's a little easier to say. And I'm going to put on my Greek professor hat here and get really scholarly and tell you that it's in the present active imperative tense. The present active imperative tense. That means, I didn't come up with that. I just read it from a commentary. But it means that Jesus is telling them to do it now, actively. You know, it, it's, it's, it is what it sounds like. Present active imperative. It's not, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Take heart. Have the right attitude about this is something I thought of. Now, that's easier said than done. For me, especially, I, I can get stressed out. I can get grumpy. I can get cranky. Oh, I know it's hard to believe, but if you ask my wife after that thing I said about marriage before, I'm sure she'll throw me right under the bus and tell you all about it. You know, <laughs> so... <laughs> Hi, honey. Um, (laughs) I can. And if I even have the uh, presence of mind to realize that I'm acting that way, that I'm being grumpy, that I'm being cranky, that I have the wrong attitude, that I'm not acting the way God wants me to in this situation, if I even can think clearly enough to realize that, then pulling myself out of that is, is difficult still. So I need to turn to him and ask him for help with that. And that's what I usually try to do as I say, God, please help me like, adjust 
my attitude here. Help me, help me, I don't usually say take, help me take heart or help me take courage, but I think I'm going to start doing that, you know. Help me be of good cheer, even in this difficult thing that I'm going through. Because he tells us to do that. But he doesn't tell us we have to do it on our own. He tells us to do it with him. Now, some other examples of uh, Jesus telling people to take heart are found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. He tells them, tells the paralytic that was uh, brought to him on a mat, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven you. He told him this before he healed him. He said, take heart, your sins are forgiven you. And we, you know, if we study that section, we'd see, you know, more important than him being healed was the fact that his sins are forgiven. And that's more important for us too. No matter what we are going through, no matter what the difficulty is, if we ask God to, to help us out of this situation, out of these circumstances that we're in, before he helps us out, we can take heart that our sins are forgiven us. If we remember the things that God's already done for us, that will help us take heart in the situation that we're still in. You know what I'm saying? That if we can think about just the magnitude of our sins already being forgiven, about Jesus going to the cross and dying for us, that we have a place promised for us in heaven, then whatever little thing or even big thing that we're dealing with here looks a lot better because we think about what God's already done for us. So he told that man to take heart, his sins are forgiven before he healed him. Then he went on to heal him. That should encourage us. He also, when he walked on water, the disciples were afraid. They thought he was a ghost. And he told them, take courage, same word. It is I, don't be afraid. When we're afraid, we should remember this. We don't need to be afraid because Jesus is with us. Again, it's easier said than done, but I believe he will help us with us if we're really asking him for it. Help us to cheer up. Help us to uh, be of good courage. Help us to take heart. David Guzik said about that, when Jesus wanted to comfort and strengthen his disciples, he spoke of his victory, not directly their victory. This wasn't cheer up or try harder. Jesus knew that his victory would be theirs. He said to take heart because I have overcome the world. Not take heart because you need to cheer up, buddy. Not turn that frown upside down. Take heart because I have overcome the world. His victory. Now remember Paul, in the same section that he said nothing could separate us from the love of Christ, he said, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Because Jesus has overcome the world and conquered sin and death, we who trust in him will overcome it as well and spend eternity in heaven with him. Matthew Henry said, He has conquered it for us as the captain of our salvation. We are interested in his victory. By his cross, the world is crucified to us, which bespeaks it completely conquered and put into our possession. All is yours, even the world. Christ having overcome the world, believers have nothing to do but to pursue their victory and divide the spoil. And this we do by faith. Now we can be sure of trouble, bad news, but we can be just as sure that it will come to an end, one way or another. Whether God delivers us from that trouble as we ask him to in prayer, whether we leave this life 
when it ends and go to heaven to be with him or whether he returns before then to bring us to heaven with him, our troubles will end and we will spend forever with him in heaven. The victory is already won. So no matter what troubles we face, no matter how beaten up we feel, which I, I feel a lot. I don't know about you, but I feel like beaten up, dragged out, you know, tired out. And I don't even have anything that crazy going on in my life right now. Just regular life sometimes just beats me up. But no matter how much we feel like that, we know that someday all of these troubles are going to be wiped away. Our, our tears are wiped away and we're going to be in heaven face to face with Jesus. So we can take heart in that. We can be encouraged and have joy even in our troubles, even in the midst of them. We are his and he's already won the victory. Now, if you're going through some kind of a trouble right now, something difficult, you're not the only one. We all have troubles. And I encourage anybody who's like going through something tough right now, we have people up here who can pray for you after church and we'd love to pray for you so that we can share in those troubles with you and, and ask God to help you with those and encourage each other. But encourage yourself too by looking at what God says, that we can take heart in what he's done. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, thank you that you're with us in our troubles. Thank you that you've overcome the world. Thank you that we can take heart in you. As believers, we, uh, we know that we can come to you and we know that you want us to have peace in you. And that's the only place we can find peace, Lord. And if there's anyone listening today who doesn't know you, Lord, they don't have that peace. And I pray, Lord, that you would show them that they need it. And if that's you, you can pray right now and receive that peace with God. And just pray like this, Lord, I am tired of going through these troubles on my own. I am tired of being without your peace. I, I need a savior. I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me and rose again. And I want to live my life with you and your, your peace from now on. It's that simple. For the rest of us, Lord, that, that already know you as our savior, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember these things. Help us to follow you and help us to take heart in what you've already done for us. When we go through these difficult things, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you so that we are of good courage, so that we go through our troubles as good witnesses for you in the joy that we have in you, Lord, so that people around us can see that we have you to help us, and that's the difference in our lives. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we don't turn to you and just keep on going along discouraged and, and without your peace. We, we know that's what you want for us. That's what you, you came to give us. And we just pray, Lord, that we would be more quick to turn to you and take advantage of that. We praise you, Lord, for your victory over sin and death. You've overcome the world. Only you could do it. And you, and you did it on the cross. And we just thank you, Lord. We thank you for what you were willing to do for us. We just give you all praise and glory for who you are. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen.